0: You're listening to Seattle Sports Saturday, Saturday with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers,
1: and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. You can listen to the show via the 710 Sports app. It is powered by the Dubin Law Group. Curtis Rogers and Lydia Cruz with you on this Seattle Sports Saturday. Lots on the docket this Saturday. We got the Mariners. Coming up in about an hour, taking on the Kansas City Royals in Cactus League action. Marco Gonzalez, he gets the start today, looking to bounce back from his uh, rough one against the Cubs earlier this week. So that's coming your way at noon. You can hear that live here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Uh, also, we got Dragons taking on the Battle Hawks later today, 2 p.m. on Fox. I'm as... here
2: with Jake Allen, who gets oh, the nod that's between... my computer, Liz.
1: There we go. It's
2: playing St. Louis Blues <laughs> updates. Nice. All right. Yeah,
1: Jake Allen, Blues goalie. Let's
2: go. All right.
1: Right on. Sorry, but C-Rush. Uh, no worries. Uh, today, Leap Day, only happens once every four years, and got us thinking which Seahawks need to take a leap in 2020. And there are a lot of candidates that I think the Seahawks are banking on, especially if they want to get back to a contending level. Not not well. They are at a contending level but I want to say a Super Bowl level. And they're going to need a few of these players to really kind of leave their mark in 2020. And text yours in to the text line 710710. Which Seahawks do you need to see take a leap in 2020? But I think this conversation starts and ends with L.J. Collier, first off. This is a guy, first-round pick, only made, what, three tackles in 2019, dealt with the injuries in training camp, which got him off to a rough start. But if the Seahawks want to have that pass rush, which we've been talking about a lot today, it's kind of the theme of today's show, or at least it was in the first hour, LJ Collier is somebody that the Seahawks desperately need to get, I think, starter-level contributions from.
2: Absolutely. And a topic of conversation for both Pete and John this week when they were out at the Combine. This is John Schneider. His thoughts on LJ Collier's rookie year.
0: You know, we were lucky that we had him. You know, we thought we were going to lose him for the season that day, and uh you know, we're lucky that, that uh, we didn't have to put, place him on IR. Uh, we would have liked to see him, obviously, we would like liked to see him, you know, uh, make a little bit more of a dent. Uh, but, you know, his checkout meeting was awesome. He was really excited about uh, next year and what that brings. We would have loved to, you know, we had traded Frank, so we were really excited that we were able to acquire LJ. Uh, and then, unfortunately, he had that really funky um, ankle injury.
2: And then also Pete Carroll mentioning that they'd like to see a step forward, a jump forward, a la Rashim Green last year. And so here's Pete on that comparison.
0: OJ got off to a, a tough start with a, with a nasty ankle injury that he had. It <clears throat> took him a while to get going. He was behind throughout most of camp and the hard part of camp when he could have shown you know, his development and given everybody the confidence, himself and us and, and all that he was ready. He, he'll, If he comes roaring back like Rasheen did, uh, then we get another really good ball player to add in the mix. Both those guys are playing that five technique and, and the three technique spot. They could both start at the same time at their, at their spots. Um and it's important for us to to see that development, so that's what we're after. And uh, but that's just you know one spot of it. But that's um, we're hoping LJ can really make a move.
2: The difference is LJ Collier's twenty four years old. Rasheem Green is still twenty two.
1: Sheesh. Yeah. The the places where they're at in their football careers, Collier's got a lot more mileage on him than than Rasheem Green does. And I think Green has a lot more room to reach sort of that top end, whereas LJ Collier. I think was a safe pick at the time, somebody that the floor wasn't as low on, but he never was able to get out on the field this year. So we didn't even see that low floor of his. And I think the Seahawks have also, especially last year, I think they were drafting guys who could contribute right away so that this they didn't have to wait so long on some of these players which, unfortunately, now they're going to have to with Collier and Marquise Blair, who both you know those were your first two picks this season, and both of them barely saw the field, you know, for very important parts of the season.
2: Let's let's transition to Marquise Blair then too, because he is on this list as players we would like to see take a step forward. This yes, year.
1: yeah, and I think Blair for as as you know that was he was built, he was brought in to be that heavy hitter. And, I mean, there were a couple plays this year where he did lower the boom. But for the most part, it was, it was kind of a forgettable rookie season from him and a second-round pick, and he was the second-highest-drafted defensive back the Seahawks have had under Pete and John. The only one higher was Earl Thomas, and that's somebody headed to the Hall of Fame. These are two guys, Pete Carroll and John Schneider, can recognize def- defensive back talent better than just about anybody in the NFL. And when they use a second-round pick on somebody like that, that should speak the world of what they think of this player. And yet, Blair was unable to, I think, reach those standards that this front office has set for defensive backs in this organization.
2: Pete Carroll saying in late December that Lane O'Hill just had more experience at a variety of positions than Blair. But we've seen in the past where I would say more towards the beginning of his tenure – that Pete hasn't been afraid to play young guys or to give them those opportunities. It was just kind of intriguing to see this year that they were a little more more conservative in that category. Now, I don't know if that's a trust factor, if they felt they just truly weren't ready, they didn't want to set them up for failure, um, and that maybe they just need another year of development to learn the system. But I found that to be interesting. Brock Hewer, this is back... After the season ended in January, talking about Marquise Blair and Ugo Amadi, wanting to know where they disappeared to. The other
1: perplexing question I would have for coach when we have a Coke, um, is not only talking about base defense, is, is what happened with Ugo and Marquise Blair? Because both of those guys got twitch, both of them got some thump, and both of them got more speed than the guys that they went with and played at those positions this year. Why, why didn't you uh, assimilate them more as you did in your first iteration and even in your second iteration? plain young people why why didn't those guys get more run i would like much more specific answers than i have right now
2: also i just like the idea of brock having a coke with coach
1: yeah just
2: the old, it would obviously be not can but it would be an old school bottle
1: yeah mexican coke yeah that'd be the
2: good. kind that you you got to like open on just a random surface somewhere <laughs> let's co- coach let's just have a coke and thanks, chat thanks mean joe chat that about why can. you were so committed to base last year But also Ugo Amati was on our list, or at least on Mm -hmm. on my list too, because we saw flashes on special teams of what he can do. But that position, having someone that can play the true nickel spot, John Schneider said this week that they need to address it and view it as more of a starter position as opposed to something that they can rotate in there every once in a while. And Pete Carroll said, well, it came down to – Michael Kendricks, his ability on the field, why they were in with playing with three linebackers so often, and then also mentioned Hugo Amadi's inexperience that led them to let. Led to them playing less nickel in 2019. That depends
0: on the people, you know. Remember that Michael Kendricks was a really extraordinary player, and and uh, if Michael comes back and he's running to go and he puts himself back in that spot, then he gives us that flexibility. We will certainly use that some because it was effective for us, but it's going to depend on the guys. And, and uh, Ugo Amati uh, played well at the nickel spot last year. Did a good job late in the year. We need to see him through camp in all aspects of it. He did not have to play a lot of early down stuff in nickel because we play base. So that that's that's yet to be. Determine as we go. Um, there'll be a. There's a couple other guys we have in mind at this point from our roster that will compete there too to give us different style players there.
2: Not shocking that there were a lot of defensive players that came to our mind when we were thinking of this list and what players we want to say to take a leap in 2019.
1: Yeah, I think offensively the one player I look at that we hope to take a leap in 2020 is somebody that we thought was going to take one in 2019 and that's Rashad Penny. And there were moments where he did show the first-round talent, just as he did in his rookie season, like in that Rams game uh, against the Eagles this the last Eagles, year. Yeah. The Eagles, yeah. regular season game, Penny had that huge long run that kind of iced the game for Seattle.
2: On a day when Chris Carson struggling. And, yeah. And he came in and showed what he can be, that ceiling.
1: And hopefully he can get back healthy. I mean, they have not been as definitive on when they expect Penny back the way they have with Will Disley. And I think a lot of that kind of – is dependent on where those guys got injured in the season. Disley was injured at the beginning of the year, whereas Penny was injured at the end of the season. So, you know, eight, nine months from December is a lot different than eight, nine months from September, October, where Disley's time frame is probably going to be right up until training camp or maybe week one of the preseason, somewhere around there, whereas Penny you know, could be September, maybe even October when he's ready to go. We don't know, and you know it's year three for him. If you, I feel like if you haven't shown your fullest capabilities by year three, are you ever going to show it? Because that's a lot of time that you have. You know, you are a veteran in the league by year three. Like you were not somebody that you can just say, "Oh, he's young." You know, he's still working out those rookie kinks that that, that a lot of these players have. No, like you are an established veteran by that point. It's time to really show who you are.
2: Yeah, unfortunate that he is hampered by the injury and probably most likely won't be back to start the season. At least that was what we picked up from Pete and John this week. How about going back to defense, though, one name on this list that we've heard brought up not only at the Combine this week, but several several conversations this year as well.
1: Yeah, Trey Flowers, who had a great rookie season, especially where he was drafted fifth round.
2: And moving positions, changing from safety to corner.
1: Playing somewhere he had never played regularly before. And now he took a step back in year two. Sort of the same trajectory as Shaquille Griffin, who had a down sophomore season, the the dreaded sophomore slump, then Then came back.
2: Made a lot of changes in the offseason to his preparation, how he trains, uh, nutrition even, all of these different things. And then we saw bounce back year.
1: Bounce back. All the way to the Pro Bowl,
2: both Griffin brothers. Yeah,
1: which I mean, shout out to those guys. If Trey Flowers can sort of follow that lead, and I think he's somebody that you know is is definitely hungry and, and willing to get better and make those improvements. Uh, you know, it, it. I think his development is going to be huge for the Seahawks. But I also think the Seahawks are going to bring in somebody to sort of compete with him and, and spur him along and say, hey, like nothing's guaranteed to you, even though you know you're familiar with the system here.
2: That's always been a mentality. I mean, that is always compete, as we know, but especially on the defensive side of things and for those defensive backs, it feels like that has always been a part of Pete and John's system to have competition at those positions. Trey Flowers is someone that you absolutely root for. Uh, He's just a cool dude. Uh, great dad, and yes. I love hearing and seeing the posts about his daughter. <laughs> and um, so he's someone you root for and would strike me as someone that would, would have a bounce back here. I think at times we saw last year too, part of it is just trusting his abilities, mm-hmm. trusting that he can play that position. And there were moments uh, where
1: when- he, like, especially on, like, the jump balls where I feel like he would get afraid that he'd be whistled for a pass interference yeah. and kind of back off a little bit. Like no play, play through it, man. Like if there is contact, there's contact. But it's better to have contact than allow for a big play to happen. Don't
2: doubt yourself in those big moments. So I would think that part of this, a huge part of this, is mental for him as well. Hoping he can take that step forward. Who are the players that you would like to see elite?
1: Yeah, we got a couple of texts. Uh, one nine two five says they need Cody Barton to step up uh, in this next season. So yeah, that's another person, especially Michael Kendricks, if he maybe doesn't return or if his injury keeps him out for for some time, those are some other people. We keep texting those into the Coors Light text line 710-710. But up next, we give you some of the best sound we heard all week. Uh, From spring training, Danny and Gallant, they were down there this last week. talked to just about every Mariner of note. We'll give you some of the best sound of what we heard coming up next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Get your shout-outs in to the text line. We get to those a half hour from now. That's how we wrap up every single Seattle Sports Saturday with your shout-outs. we got a few, I think, to get to this week, but that's coming your way at 1145. Coming your way at noon is the Mariner game. They take on the Kansas City Royals today in Cactus League action Last night I found myself just at home, not doing anything. Great
2: start. Great start. Those are the best nights. Friday nights especially. If if I'm in my PJs by like 6 p.m., score.
1: I found myself opening up MLB TV and just putting on a random Cubs-Padres Cactus League game just because it's baseball. It's back. It is here. Just the sounds of baseball, I had zero rooting interest in the game. Uh, I mean, yeah, the Cubs, are they're a known commodity. The Padres, they're the Mariners' geographical rival. I mean, there's so much hate between the two organizations. No, but I, I found myself just watching a random Cactus Leaguer, and I was like, man, I am so happy right now. Like, this is what I want to be doing.
2: It's joy in a pure, unadulterated form. Also, too, because... It hasn't been tainted by records yet. Every team could be a World Series winner in the the minds of their fans, and you just sense that. Also, you get to see all these guys that are literally living out their dream and battling for a position spot. Sure, a lot of rosters are already decided, or you know who the stars are going to be, but those fringe players that are battling to, to stay or to make it to the majors, I think... That's fun to watch.
1: It is. And the Mariners, they have a lot of guys who are battling for spots right now. There is a competitiveness in this camp that I don't think was even close to existing in the first years of Jerry DePoto's time here in Seattle because there were a lot of established players. You had the Cruzes, Canoes, Segura, Seeger, Felix, all these guys that had accomplished so much. You could just pencil in, pencil them into the lineup each day. But now you've got a lot of open competitions wherever it is that you look. You know, at second base, Shed Long and D Gordon—they're battling it out. I think the Mariners would love to have Shed Long be that second baseman. Uh, in the outfield, there—I think the only guy you could really, or the only guys you could really pencil in, are Malik Smith and Kyle Lewis at center field and left field. But out in right field, it's anybody's game right now.
2: And and center field even was the only position that. That uh, Jerry Depoto mentioned before the year, saying that the only certainty they knew was Malik's was going to to play out there. They definitely wanted to give Kyle Lewis the opportunity, but still, his sample size in the majors, it was so fun to watch him come up last year. But it's still small, and a lot of these guys battling, really the only certainty, too, in the infield is, we know Kyle Seager will be on the hot corner. We know
1: J.P. Crawford is going to be making amazing plays at shortstop highlight
2: real worthy plays over at shortstop but i do love that it's just so much youth and so much competition so one of the more tenured players uh that we did hear from this week at spring training danny and Gallant out there broadcasting live was marco gonzalez and i love that he also assumes that mantle of leader even though he's still a younger person he fully embraces that he said that he was a leader in high school and in college, but also when he went to the Cardinals, Adam Wainwright kind of taking him under his wing and Wayne out, you know, telling him to pay that forward, to not be a, a leader. Not
1: a bad guy to, no. to learn from. No.
2: Um, and Marco, now on how he approaches spring training and what this is like for him at this point in his career.
1: I've certainly been at a different point this year than I've ever been because I have a target in mind and I I know now what a full season feels like, so... To me, I've I actually was talking about this with my wife the other night. It's like we have a marathon, and you don't you don't sprint to the starting line of a marathon. You kind of walk up and, and slowly get ready, and because you know what's ahead of you. Um, and, and so, especially after last year, 200 innings and um, a lot of starts, I, I think my body is just kind of okay. We're we're building up here. And for me, I just expect the ball to come out well and, and for me to feel good right now. Um, I know that if it feels good coming out of my hand, I know I can make adjustments to make pitches.
2: That's where he's at at this point. Also, had a message for the younger guys and talking to J Rod and uh, Jared Kelnick and saying, when your opportunity does come, because it will come, be ready for that.
1: That speaks to how young this Mariners team is because Marco Gonzalez <laughs> is the Wiley veteran of this group. And he's, what, 27, Seven, 28 years I think old? So, yeah. Like and he's only been he's only spent what two full seasons in the major league level, and he's all of a sudden just the 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 gray bearded guy out there.
2: You kind of felt like Mitch Haneker was going to be that way, and not even thirty yet for him as well. So yeah, that's where that's a good place to be at for this team. Another maybe one of those veterans is uh, Malik Smith. He talked about the youth on this team. Being a good thing because that means that they all got something to prove. When
0: you get here, it's about you know. Well, in the off season, you're you're trying to like get stronger and faster and, and throw harder and and hit the ball farther and things like that. And then when you get here, it's it's really about like the little minor, you know, small little details of the game that can you know be small at the time but may play a big difference in in your performance and play. And everybody's trying to figure out what's their small little niche right now. So as much as we're having fun, you know, we're also having fun and learning, which is a great dynamic. I'm very much so enjoying.
1: And, yeah, I think that kind of mindset is really being seen throughout camp. Uh, There is a commitment to youth that we have not seen this Mariners team have in so long. And I think the players that are in camp – also, you know, they're excited to be there. They're excited to be there with players that they've played a long time with. And and that's been a big sticking point with this front office is that they're going to promote these guys in kind of waves where they've been playing together for a long time. We saw, you know, or we're seeing guys get promoted sort of together. Uh, Jared Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez, they both started the year out in West Virginia last year. Both made it up to Modesto at some point last year.
2: And then the A Arkansas fraternity is real. Yeah, I Justin
1: Dunn, Justice Sheffield, Kyle Lewis, all three of those Evan guys. Evan White. Yeah, all four of those guys spent time there last year, and all four are expected to make contributions at the Major League level this year, with Sheffield likely being in the starting rotation, Kyle Lewis likely being your starting left fielder. Uh, Dunn competing for a starting rotation spot. Evan White is your Starting first baseman, which we got some news today on Evan White. He's gonna be out for the next couple of days, uh resting a growing strain. So Don't like that. No, but speedy
2: recovery for Ev.
1: We do like, you know, Evan White and his potential. Obviously his glove is is gold glove level right now.
2: And then I think his bat surprising a lot of people with his ability to make consistent hard contact at the plate. He's a unicorn of sorts because uh he throws left but bats right. Which doesn't happen often in yeah. baseball. Like Ricky Henderson is like the most famous of all players, but not and, many uh, people making a career your, out of
1: it. Your co-host is well.
2: yes, of course. Rod's yeah. also a unicorn for I many am. reasons. Yeah, a rare. I type. throw
1: left, bat right. I'm, Let's go. I'm, I'm a freak. It's weird. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think the great thing that we learned this week, and that we're going to continue to learn throughout spring training, is that there there are guys in this camp that are hungry. There are guys in this camp. That you can tell they love playing the game, which we talked about it earlier with you know the previous top prospects in the organization, the Ackleys, the Smokes, the Monteros. We didn't really ever get that sense from them that they were all about baseball, that that's what they loved and breathed, and that's who they were as as players and people. But Jared Kelnick, he loves the game. Julio Rodriguez. Like, on his days off, he is in the stands watching his teammates. His teammates.
2: It's infectious. It's, it's also the fact that they love playing at that high level, but they also genuinely love playing with one another. And I think that chemistry is important when it comes to a 162-game season, and you're going to play hurt at certain times. You're going to be tired and, and not want to be out there, but if you are – able to get on the field because of the person next to you as well and say that I'm not only doing this for myself, but the person next to me, that's huge. I loved this quote from Justin Dunn. I want to leave you guys with, but that whole idea that, yeah, you can get a teammate to run into a wall for you because, because if they genuinely love you and love playing with you, they'll do that. I think it's a
3: little different for me being a young guy, you know, I'm coming in trying to, uh, fight for spots and, and impress and, and stuff. So I have to be game ready from game one. At least I feel that way. Um, so my big thing is, is executing right off the right off the jump, um, get my pitches where I want them, but also not be too ready too soon at the same time. You don't you don't want to peak right now. I'd rather peak towards the end of camp and um, really hit season in full stride. So there's a fine line between letting it rip, but also knowing that your stuff is there and, and backing off, but still having that same compete mentality.
2: Just kidding. This cut is labeled incorrectly, <laughs> but uh, this cut was labeled chemistry as huge. But basically he told Danny and Gallant that – players like Jose Siri will run into a wall for you because they genuinely love hanging out with you. I think that I haven't felt that from the Mariners squad at this level in a while, and I'm excited about it. It's
1: been quite some time. So what has stood out to us the most so far throughout the Cactus League's first week? We're already a week into spring training. We'll tell you what that is coming up right here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. About a half hour away from Mariners baseball here on 710. They take on the Kansas City Royals Cactus League action. Lineup is out today. A lot of familiar names, at least names you should expect to see on the opening day roster, Marco Gonzalez, likely the opening day starting pitcher again this year. I can't imagine anybody else getting that honor. But he gets the start today looking to rebound from what he did in his first start this spring against the Cubs on Monday of this week. Had a rough go of it. Didn't make it past the first inning. Allowed five runs. But as with all things in spring training, you take it with a grain of salt. It doesn't count in the in the ultimate ness of it all, but uh, I think if you worry about spring training stats, I think the the most ones you got to be concerned about is if this is something that he does each and every start. But I imagine he he bounces back today.
2: Yeah, and uh, if you know, and the competitive mentality that Marco Gonzalez has, it's yeah. been on display. Even you know, he's always been absolutely polite and professional in any conversation that I've had and been in the clubhouse with. But you can also, the competitor Marco exists, and it's palpable in his words when he'll come out and be feisty in certain situations. So I love that about him, and I would expect him to bounce back. I think you have to, instead of looking at the final stat line, take away, especially with pitchers, there's usually specific things they're working on with their pitches, particularly their secondary pitches. And If you see improvement in those categories, whether it's movement, whether it's uh, placement, that is the positive thing here.
1: Mm -hmm. And this week, or over the years, we've learned a lot about Marco Gonzalez. And this week, we learned a lot about other guys on this roster and just kind of who they are as players, who they are as people off the field. And... We may not know a lot of these names right out of the gate, and I think a lot of Mariners fans, a lot of casual Mariners fans, are looking at this year's roster and like, I don't know any of these guys. Why should I invest? (laughs) And it's like, well, if you get into the ground level, you're going to appreciate them even more if slash when they become the regulars on this roster and when they become the players that I think the Mariners organization kind of envisions them being. Uh, Just
2: make a little investment early on. The bonds are going to mature, and, and if, then they'll pay off dividends. Exactly.
1: And I think Danny and Gallant did a good job this week of highlighting a lot of these personalities that we may have heard the name once or twice of, but we've never really heard them speak at length before. Mm-hmm. Uh, Julio Rodriguez. That, to me, is a name that I think Mariner fans should get very familiar with. We've heard his name in spurts in years past, last year when he made the leap to single A Modesto and just tore the cover off the ball. I think that was a big part of. Or I think that was able to grab the attention of a lot of Mariners fans out there and like, oh, who's this? You know, eighteen year old kid that's playing really well and now he gets the invite to major league camp. You look at Baseball America and MLB. dot com. They've got him rated, you know, in like their top ten, top fifteen prospects in all of baseball. That's somebody who I think Mariners fans need to pay attention to. He was able to sit down with Danny and Glant this week and we learned a lot more about him in the 10 minutes he spent with him than I think we knew about him you know in the years that he's been in the Mariners organization
2: he he's so fun I got to talk to him uh, two months or a month or two ago when they were in town for some meetings here with the Mariners and you just in person he's every bit as charismatic as you see on tv or on social media he's the, the best way to describe it, literally a twinkle in his eye about baseball when he talks about playing the game and also about his friendship with Jared Kelnick, which has been well-documented. They asked him about it on Danny and Galant this week. There's a lot of first-meeting stories that were getting thrown around. Okay, how did you first meet this person? How did you first meet this person? And Jared Kelnick, uh, Julio talks about the first time he met his buddy.
3: This is the best spot because we literally met over there. You know what? That man was walking over there. We literally met there. He was he was there like stretching, doing some early work, I think, because he he first he just first got here. So I was in the cage, I think. So I was walk walking over. I was like, this guy looks like Jerry the guy the guy that just got traded. I was I, I wanted to introduce myself. I was like, hey, what's up, bro? And he just started. I just I just said his said I think I said my name, but at first he was trying to talk like. Spanish to me because he didn't know if I knew like really good English or not, and whenever I started talking he was like, Oh my god, like <laughs> what did I do
2: I love that he was- att- yeah he was attempting to uh to speak in Spanish, I love that, yeah, Put and yourself uh, out there
1: exactly we've you know there are those guys in major league baseball, I think like Brian Dozier uh the second yes, baseman who yep. he's he speaks really good. Spanish and I think he's done
2: like full interviews, right?
1: Yeah. And he's able to sort of, I I guess,
2: be the clubhouse bridge.
1: Yeah. And in baseball, the Latin guys tend to stick together and because they've all gone through a very similar experience to get to major league baseball. And, you know, that language barrier is really tough. You don't see that in the NFL. You don't see that in the NBA so much where there is a, a distinct language barrier between teammates but in major league baseball that exists and to have those guys willing to say, you know what, I'm gonna learn a second language to help, you know, bring together this team chemistry. And for Jared Kelnick, who, you know, is as young as he is to have that kind of mindset and be like, you know what, I'm gonna try my best to really like get to know these guys who I'm gonna be playing with and who I'm gonna be, you know, traveling around the country with every single day for the better part of a, a year. Like, that's a really cool thing to see, especially from somebody as young as Jared Kelnick, because I know when I was 19 years old, like, you know, still thinking about yourself a lot and for him to kind of be selfless in that. And and even though Julio Rodriguez can speak English fluently, uh, you know, it was a really cool, cool story that he, he
2: shared. Yeah, and Julio as well. We mentioned the selfless n- nature of him. You, you talked about how he would go sit in the stands and watch his teammates or watch other people play and root them on, which was really cool. Now, speaking of first meeting stories, though, uh, let's talk about, uh, I believe it was Shedlong told the story of how he first met Evan White, which was amazing. <laughs> uh, he actually thought he, he knew Evan already and then just went up to him as if he did. Evan
3: and I is actually funny. The first time I ever met Evan, I thought that I already knew him. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I literally went up to him and I was like, hey, we're we going to dinner tonight. And he was like, oh, nice to meet you. And I was like, oh, that's not who I thought it
1: was. Should <laughs> <laughs> you try to backtrack out of it and then explain yourself?
3: Not really. I was just like, all right, what up? You going to meet me in Scottsdale tonight?
2: <laughs> I love that. <laughs> And he said Evan was just just went with it and was so nice, uh, his demeanor. I mean we've hear we hear Evan mentioned in so many different stories, or as the best friend of so many people. He's that guy, uh, like Taylor Jacobs, who's in eight hundred weddings per year. Yeah, that is like connects with everyone, which I think is incredible. And I'll just say this also story caught my eye: uh, Justin Dunn talking about. That friendship he developed. Well, Kyle Lewis and Evan White really becoming best friends at the double-A level. And then Justin joining them when he came over from the Mets. And they all started to develop this friendship to the point where they're even having Game of Thrones watch parties and Bachelor watch parties. Justin telling the story of that. And he said, he doesn't even like the Bachelor. He just likes hanging out with those guys. I don't really like much about it. I just like hanging out with them. (laughs) (laughs) Um.
3: <laughs> Ev, Ev gets super, super into it. So really? it's cool to see him get fired up and be like, no, we don't like it. Like, I'll just I'll like him on to that. Like, who do we like? Who do we not like? We like her. We don't like her. She's bad for him. This is who she needs to be with. So uh, whoever produces The Bachelor, Ev, let Ev make your decisions. He's,
1: he's a great guy, and he knows what he's doing. I love that. Yeah. Evan White, like – I've never met him, but just based off the stories that his teammates are telling of mm-hmm. him, you can tell he's somebody that really gets along with everybody. And I think that's a good thing to have in a first baseman because they're the person that is talking to every base runner. They're talking to every fielder out on the you know on the field. Like you got to have a friendly first baseman.
2: True, they do, they have to have chemistry with everyone else across the infield to understand them. Yeah, other than any position up the middle, really catcher. You know, short or middle infield and center field, I would say that's one of the most important ones in baseball. And it's cool that he's just at the center of everything, sounds like, between everyone and, and bridging those gaps. So I loved hearing from spring training this week, and Danny and Gallant did an excellent job, as you mentioned. Yes. All of these interviews in their entirety are available for you at 710sports.com, and if you're a baseball fan, I suggest checking those out, and you want to feel happier and excited about the future.
1: Also check out Shannon Dreyer's video series on yes, 710sports.com. Please. She's been sitting down with a lot of players including someone we didn't even get to, Cal Raleigh she had a conversation with, uh, Catching Prospect, she has one with Julio Rodriguez. A lot of guys on this team she has been able to sit down with. Make sure you're checking out that video series at 710sports.com. Lots of great stuff, lots of great Mariners content for you there. Cal Uh, Raleigh,
2: also one of the Beef Boys. If you don't know that story, you have to check it out. I'm sure Shannon asked him about it, but (laughs) Beef Boys down in High Modesto.
1: It's going to be, yeah, yeah, this Mariners team. If you're not checking them out, at least, you know, dive in because the Mariners, uh, there's a lot of fun personalities Mm -hmm. on this team. Uh, Just taking a look at today's lineup you got Shed Long batting leadoff, JP Crawford, Kyle Seeger at third, Daniel Vogelback getting the start at first base with Evan White nursing that growing injury, Tom Murphy, Carlos Gonzalez, Jared Kelnick, D Gordon, and Jose Siri. Uh, out in left field. So that is your lineup today as they take on the Kansas City Royals. But when we return here on Seattle Sports Saturday, we get to your shout-outs, we give you our shout-outs, and we get you set for Mariners baseball. That's all coming up right here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710
2: ESPN Seattle.
1: Shout-out time Right here on Seattle Sports Saturday.
2: Why does my computer keep playing sound?
1: I thought that was part of the song.
2: Yeah. No, I shouldn't disrespect (laughs) Run the Jewels like that.
1: But uh, as we do each and every Saturday, we give you our shout-outs. We give your shout-outs out to those. Uh, A couple of them coming in on the text line from the 253. They say, happy 10th slash 40th birthday to Melissa. A leap day birthday. Let's
2: go. You know what? You definitely take the cake literally over Ja Rule, who oh, is yeah. maybe the only other famous birthday that I know from this day. Yeah. I mean, so shout out to you, Melissa. One in
1: four years. That's, I mean, I'll never know what it's like to celebrate a birthday oh.
2: every four years,
1: but shout out to Melissa. Get yourself the an extra
2: big cake, like four times the regular size. Yeah.
1: It's you a much it. bit, Yeah, exactly. From the 360, shout-out today is Special Olympics Basketball State <gasps> yes. Tournament. Uh, as a coach didn't qualify, shout-out to all the coaches and athletes that did. Yeah, absolutely, shout-out. Uh, Special Olympics, that's an organization that's very near and dear to my family, my oldest sister. She's, long, she's competed for a long time in Special Olympics and various sports, mainly swimming, so... Absolutely! Shout out to the Special Olympics every single time we get that kind of opportunity. We're going to shout them out. Mm-hmm. I know Taylor; he volunteered when the Special Olympics Summer Games were in town. Uh, that was was it last year or the year before?
2: Uh, was it last year? I felt like. And he and his wife Molly. Yes. Who we love
1: so. But yeah, Taylor. He'll be back next week. Shout out to him. Uh,
2: and shout out to our one-year anniversary of Seattle Sports I, which Saturday, which I believe
1: is next week.
2: Yeah. Wow. We made we it. Get a cake. I think so, too, and I'm going to get it four times the size of a normal cake, even though I didn't earn it. But. I like that.
1: I like that. <laughs> okay. uh, let's get to our shout-outs. You can continue to text yours in on the text line 710-710. Lydia, who are you shouting out this week?
2: This week, I'm shouting out the Bishop brothers, Hunter Bishop and Braden Bishop, a really cool moment in the game. I believe it was Thursday. It was split squad action for the M's, but... Playing in Peoria against the Giants. Hunter Bishop, newly uh drafted by first the round Giants. pick a year ago. Yes. And was incredible at Arizona State and fun to watch there. And then Braden, five years older at with the Mariners and flashing some of his talents in the past couple of seasons out there in the outfield. It was just a really cool moment. These brothers getting to play in the same game against each other in spring training. How often does that happen? Because, again, National League, American League, you don't get the opportunity to play against each other that much in, unless it is in spring what, training games. And the
1: Mariners don't play the Giants every single season. No, they play them probably one. Every Yeah. So. so,
2: yeah. I thought this was just a really cool moment. They both lost their mother this past year, and uh, Braden posting a really beautiful post of the two of them on the field. I'm sure their dad was so happy and oh, yeah. proud of that moment, but saying that Braden knew he was going to get emotional uh, when this happened and that he was thinking of his mom and uh, that it's going to take both their shoes to fulfill hers. And I just think that's incredible. Braden has done so much work for his charity, his for mom charity, which you can be a part of and donate to uh, online and uh, for Alzheimer's. And and it just my heart goes out to them. But just an incredible moment of resilience and seeing both those guys on the same field together. So huge shout out to the to the Bishop brothers.
1: Yeah. Shout out. I mean, Braden Bishop, just to have a guy like that in your organization, uh, somebody who is using his platform for the best kind of good uh, to, you know, help combat a a disease that you know is it doesn't matter who you are it can it can attack anybody and unfortunately it it hit close to home for him but you know he was able to turn that that tough situation into something beautiful uh that he's him and his brother and his whole family have been able to really invest in and and just spread awareness for it and you know they've gotten a lot of involvement from minor league baseball multiple teams Mm -hmm. multiple colleges have have Done. Players
2: making pledges yeah, um, based on you know hitting or whatever they're doing. So it's incredible.
1: It is. Uh, my shout-out this week goes to a legend in the Seattle broadcasting <laughs> world. Uh, if you heard this week, Steve Rabel of Cairo TV, uh, he announced he will be retiring from his TV gig uh, this spring after nearly 40 years giving us the news every single night. But good news for Seahawks fans, he will stick around as the voice of the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, So we're not totally losing him, but uh, we won't be able to see him on a nightly basis. But we will hear him every single Sunday, Monday, Thursday, whenever the Seahawks play. Um, But just congratulations on a tremendous uh, TV career for Rabes. We get to talk to him a lot around here because Mm -hmm. He's on the huddle every Thursday, obviously with Seahawks games. Um, and you know just everybody that knows Steve Rabel, like he is the nicest person.
2: it's It's genuine and he, and we in Seattle have been kind of spoiled in the broadcasting front, I oh, yeah. feel like, because we have gotten some of the best voices on our TV and radio calls, but also some of the most genuinely kind compassionate people who are fun to be around and fun to work with so yeah congrats Rabes. i'm glad we're not losing you from the broadcast and yeah. we get to hear a lot more of the holy catfish calls uh, this season
1: and he's also like the most humble person too true and he you know very self deprecating <laughs> uh and you know yesterday <laughs> he was on with bob dave and Moore and you know it was like oh, you know, you guys got your wish. I'm off TV. And it's like, oh, man, like if it were no up to one. us, you'd be there forever. Yeah. But um, but
2: also good for you for getting your schedule yes. is so crazy. And I hope that you just get more time to relax and in, enjoy life.
1: Yeah. Him and Sharon, his wife, uh, they've been married for years and years and years. So he gets to go spend more time with her. I think that was in his statement that he released. That was like the very first thing he mentioned oh. is like, I'm so looking forward to spending more time with my wife. Um, But, yeah, Steve Rabel, just a a great, great person. Um, Congrats to him on a tremendous 40-year TV career that came after an NFL career. Like, this dude has done it all, uh, and and we're so lucky to have seen all of it uh, unfold right here in Seattle. That's where he spent pretty much his entire professional career. I mean, he's what? I think he's from originally Kentucky, and he played college football at Georgia Tech, so... You know, to make that cross-country trek and then, you know, settle out here and, and become part of the the sports fabric of this city, um, playing for the Seahawks. He was a longtime color analyst for the Seahawks and then eventually taking over as play-by-play man for the team uh, in the early 2000s. Uh, I mean, he's just he's done it all. And Legend. He, yeah. A tremendous, tremendous figure here in the Seattle sports scene. So he's going to still be on Seahawks broadcast. Don't worry. Don't you worry. We've gotten a lot of texts this week being like, well, where's Rabel going? (laughs) Who's going to call games? Don't worry. He's going to be there. Week one of the preseason, you will hear his voice calling games just like he always has. So that's going to do it for us here today. Shout out to you for stopping by, making us a part of your morning. Uh, If you missed any part of the show, I mean any second, you make sure you go and download the podcast, 710sports.com. Click on the podcast page, it's there for you every single hour of every single show. Make sure you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcast. Download it on your Zoom. I've seen Ooh. some of you downloading on the Zoom. Uh, Mariners Baseball is up next. Marco Gonzalez <laughs> takes the mound for the Mariners. We will uh, get out of your way now, and uh, Mariners Baseball will be taken over. So, for Lydia Cruz, I'm Curtis Rogers. This has been Seattle Sports Saturday on 710 ESPN Seattle.